In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, actually, we will start the study of the book of Joel. And book of, the book of Joel is actually one of a 12 minor prophets. And the main reason we call them minor is simply because the size of their prophecy is small. That's it. And actually, historically, the minor prophets were all gathered in one scroll. So that's why they kept them together as one book. But the major prophets were each one had their own, their own scroll or their own book. So the minor prophets are short. The book of Joel is only three, verse, uh, three chapters. And we will say the, the, the book of Joel and we will see that the book of Joel is extremely relevant today. And it's extremely relevant to what, what's happening this year specifically. One of the things that we as Orthodox Christian believe that the word of all the scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is what St. Paul said in 2 Timothy. So everything in the scripture is extremely relevant to us. The book of Joel as I'm telling you, is only three chapters. In those three chapters, Joel spoke about a concept called the day of the Lord. He spoke about it five times. And some of the things that Joel spoke about happened in the past. Others happened in the book of Acts and the day of Pentecost. And certain things he spoke about did not even happen yet. So the day of the Lord is not a 24-hour day. The word yom in Hebrew is not a 24-hour, but it's a period of time. And now we are living in the day of the Lord. When God finished his creation, and now he is working with us to get us to the kingdom of heaven. Some of the fathers said that as we look in the Old Testament, we will see that Origen said this. He said that God intentionally puts roadblocks in the scripture. Intentionally. So that you can dig deeper in the scripture. Imagine if the Bible is so shallow. Then you can't discover the treasures under it. And that's why Augustine said that the scripture, the scripture interprets, interprets scripture. And if you want to, to interpret the Bible, the best way to go is to actually read the Bible. And everything will become clear. Okay? Before we start the book of Joel, I just want to give you a little bit of introduction about the timeline of the Old Testament. I've spoke about this introduction a few times. I think it would help us as we're reading the book of Joel. Okay? So, you guys know that when God created the world, he started with Adam. After Adam, Adam uh, sinned. Now he... There was a life of sin. Then God renewed his covenant with Noah. He started a new creation from the beginning, human creation with Noah. He started a new family. And after Noah, people also sinned. This is the story of our life. God gives us a chance. We sin. So after Noah, Noah also, people sinned. After Noah, God said, you know what? I will actually choose a family. And I'm going to work through that family. Why? Because I'm going to show all nations 
that if God is with this family and this family is holy, then this, they can see the power of God and they can, God can be revealed to them through this family. This idea is extremely important. We'll talk about it as we go. Israel were, were chosen not because they are better than everybody else. They were chosen so God can manifest himself through a group of people and hopefully all other nations will see them and they'll return to God of Israel. Election of Israel means also responsibility. They are responsible to show the holiness of God to other nations. So the fact that God chose you, you can't just stop there. There's a responsibility that comes with it. So God chose Abraham. Obviously, Abraham had Isaac, had Jacob. And then they went and they lived in Egypt when there was a famine with Joseph for 400 years. And in those 400 years, they became a full nation. And they lived in slavery. And then God sent them Moses. And Moses took them out from the slavery to the desert. And they stayed in the desert for about 40 years. The numbers 440 are very repetitive. If you remember them, it's easy. 400 years in Egypt, then they spent 40 years in the desert. After 40 years in the desert, Moses died, and now they started a period, what we call, of judges. Period of judges, it started means that they don't have a king who owns properties and he controls people. More of a judge, his main job is to tell people, you have to do this, this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing. That's his main job. So we went for a period of judges in the promised land, for about also 400 years. So 400 years slavery, four years in the desert, 400 years they became under the rule of judges. After judges, they said, you know what? We don't want judges anymore. We want to have kings, like all the nations around us. So instead of having judges, now they have kings. Having king means that they rejected God being their king. And God gave them still an earthly king that they can see. But having an earthly king means that he owns the land. They have to be soldiers under him. Their properties, the ru his rules, not only the rules of God they have to follow, now they have to follow the rules of the king as well. In the Old Testament, be careful. In the Old Testament, with the rise of the kings, there's another group that was started to emerge, the group of prophets. Why? Because you don't want a king to have an unlimited power. In the U.S., for example, we have the three branches of government. Now, the legislation, it's already there in the law of Moses. But you want somebody like the, the Congress to come and tell the, pre the president, no, that's, you can't do this. So you had now the prophets are coming. And whenever there are kings, usually this is a time of prophets. They go together. So Israel lived under three kings where they were united as one kingdom. Saul, David, Solomon. Okay? And after Solomon, a problem happened between the, the tribes of Israel and they split into two kingdoms, the north and the south. Okay? The northern kingdom, it's called Israel and its capital is Samaria. The southern kingdom is called Judah and its capital Jerusalem. 
That's why when we read the scripture, sometimes you will hear a name of two kings, the king of Israel, the king of Judah. So that will give us a rough idea where we are in the scripture. Now, after, after they split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom was, also, was always known to be evil kingdom. The king was always evil. They worshipped idols. They, they got rid of the worship of God. Now, the southern kingdom, sometimes they were good, sometimes they were bad. Sometimes they're good kings, sometimes they're evil kings. So, this is why it's relevant, because we're going to study the book of Joel. So, what's happening is, the northern kingdom, they were always bad. So, God said, you know what? I'm going to put you into exile. He started sending, sending them prophets. Repent, repent, repent. They didn't listen. So, God allowed the kingdom, the northern kingdom, to be exiled. Okay? In the year of 722. Moses was about 1500, David and Solomon about 1000 before Christ. The division happened about 900, 722 was the fall of the northern kingdom. Be careful because this is significant. Why? If the northern kingdom falls, it means that God is putting his reputation on the line. But the whole purpose of choosing Israel is God saying, look, I'm going to work through this nation. So every other nation should see how holy this nation is, how powerful this nation is. I'm going to take them through the Red Sea. You're going to see the miracles. People heard of God of Israel and they were fearful. So the fact that God allows them to be exiled and destroyed, it will make people speak bad about the God of Israel. They will say the God of Israel is not able to protect his people. You see the level of humiliation that God is willing to take to bring his children back to him. God might reveal certain sins in the church and make the church look bad because he wants his people to return back to him. And this is significant. This is significant. And then the southern kingdom, which this, is, this prophecy is most likely for the southern kingdom, they were actually living in Jerusalem and they had a belief in their heads that because they have Jerusalem, nobody will ever defeat them. So later on with time, they have the temple, they have all that stuff. So later on with time, they started to get lazy and complacent. And because they started getting lazy and complacent, God have sent them many prophets tell them, no, I will actually allow the temple to be destroyed. I will allow the churches to be closed if you're complacent. They did not listen. 587, they were also exiled. And after the exile, now we go through the story of the return of the exile with Nehemiah and Ezra and the building of Jerusalem. So this is roughly the timeline of the Old Testament. 1500 before Christ, Moses started the beginning of the nation uh, of Israel. After this, they went to, to, they went to the, the desert for 40 years. They went to the promised land. The first 400 years were the period of judges. And after the 400 years, they started a period of kingdom. It was a monarchy for about three kings, Saul, David, Solomon, about 100 before Christ. And then after the monarchy, it was divided into two kingdoms. 
The northern was always an evil kingdom. They, they forsake the worship of God. The south was actually a kingdom that had some good kings in it. And then later on, both of them were exiled because they did not follow the teaching of God. Now, the question becomes, when is the book of Joel was written? Okay, so I'm telling you all this stuff so we know where the book of Joel is written. Nobody knows when it was written. Okay? But the main reason I'm telling you all this background because it would help us to kind of make a little bit of a, an assumption when it's written. But be careful. The book of Joel is unique in that way. Number one, we don't know when it's written. And we don't know if the people repented or not. And we don't know much about the author. And this is all not by accident. And we will see why. This is all not by accident. There is a reason why we don't know much about the author, when it's written, and whether the people repented or not. But that being said, the book itself speaks about the walls of Jerusalem. So if you think with me, if you're following, you think with me, when were the walls of Jerusalem existed? It's either before the exile or after the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So this book was way before the exile of Judah or after they returned back to Judah and Nehemiah built the walls of Jerusalem. Because that's like the two time frames for it, okay? A lot of people, they have the ten tendency to believe it's way before the exile for two reasons. One, because its location in the minor prophets. It's right after Hosea, which is one of the oldest prophecy, which is about in the 700, 800 BC. And then this is right after him. And a lot of people think that the minor prophets were put in chronological order. Okay. Also, you will see that Joel only mentions old nations like Egypt, Edom, Palestine, so he doesn't mention a lot of the more recent nations after the exile. So that's how a scholar would understand, okay, you know what, this book most likely is written before the exile. Does that make sense? Is, are you guys following? Okay, very good. Uh, also, there's a reason why we put the... the so if, you, if it's up to you and you say, you know what, you want to you wanna organize certain books, there are two ways you organize the books. You either organize them by timeline or you organize them by a theme. So the book of Hosea and the book of, uh, and, and the book of Joel have very similar themes. Actually, there are some, some words are word for word. Like I'll give you an example. In Amos, um, in, in, uh, in Hosea it says, The Lord roars from Zion, utters his voice from Jerusalem. Joel uses the same exact phrase. The Lord will roll from Zion, utter his voice from Jerusalem. They're almost using the same idea. So that's why... A lot of times we say, okay, it's coupled because of that idea. Now, I want to I tell you something before we go on. If you look at the book of Joel, so just kind of keep it in mind. God is sending Judah warning, if we assume it's before exile, that means they have seen the northern kingdom exiled. They have seen all the terrible things that happened to them. Now God is sending them warnings for 200 years. Repent, go back. You have made the salvation of the whole world 
on the line. He's repeating the message over and over again for 200 years. And people don't have a sense of urgency. So what is God is going to do? He's going to do something interesting in this book. He will send the plague of locusts that's going to come and destroy all the plants that they have. And they will look and they'll be like, this is awful. This is horrible. And God will tell them, this is nothing compared to what will happen to you if you don't repent. Why is that important? A lot of times in our life, we go through tribulation. And the biggest problem in my life that I did not get accepted into medical school. Or the biggest problem in my life that you know, the girl that I want to I wanna marry, she said no. But God is saying here, you're consumed with all these little problems, but there's a really big problem. There's something called heaven and hell. There's an eternal punishment. There's an eternal reward. So God said, you know what? You remember when you feel very sick? You know when you feel very, very sick? Or feel very, very tired? Or when you remember when you were very hopeless? This is nothing compared to what could happen in the future. I remember a father, Angelus Antoni, he departed this year. He asked St. Mary, he was a holy man, he asked St. Mary to show him heaven and hell. And he said when he saw hell, he said it smelled so disgusting. And it looked so scary that I could not stand. I st he said, told St. Mary, take me, I can't, he couldn't stand there. So God is saying, whenever something comes our way, He's just pointing us to something else. But there's another important aspect. There is an extremely powerful message. When we all as a church experience something, then every person is experiencing something alone. Like somebody's going through trouble. Yeah, you know, we feel bad for this guy. Let's pray for him or her. But we're all going through trouble. When we all have to face COVID-19, we all have to be in our, in our houses. We all have to wear masks. We all have to social distance. We all can't eat out. We all can't meet freely. Now we have to study in a certain way. When we all have to face a problem of this magnitude, the repentance should be much different. The repentance should be much different. Even though we don't know much about Joel, but the word Joel means Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. And Jehovah, uh, Joel, is not a priest. He was just a regular person, most people say. And he felt that God sent him a message that he must share with the people of God. And that's important because God will send all of us messages. I was just reading uh, the Gospel of John, John 14. 
And our Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to the disciples. He's telling them what? He tells them, I've sent you the Holy Spirit and you know him. You know his voice inside of you. Don't act like you don't know. When your spirit was, when your heart was provoked to repent, when God pushed you to feel uncomfortable with certain action, when you wanted to be mean and you couldn't sleep at night, when your joy was stealing from you, when God reminded you about something, people say, I don't know the voice of God. You do know. Why did you go to Abuna in his office and repent? For Joel, just a normal person, he came and he sent a message of repentance. He is a citizen of Judah. Okay? He is a citizen of Judah. The, the whole purpose of the book of Joel is to tell them two things. You see this plague that we're facing? We all see it. This is nothing to what's going to happen when the northern army comes and destroy all of you. Like, be careful. When a plague comes, like, for example, the pandemic we have, yes, we're all limited. Some people lose their jobs. There's a lot of restriction. But it's different than another country invading us. This is real destruction. And he's telling them, well, all of that is nothing compared to what will happen in the day of the Lord. There's a lot more difficulties that will happen in the future in the day of the Lord. Who did he write this book to? Obviously, he wrote it to all the general audience, but he singled out three different groups. One, the drunkard those who drink in access, okay? He singled out the farmers and he singled out the priests. Those who get drunk, the farmers, the priests. And we'll talk about why, why is that? Why he singled out those three? People who drink in access are usually extremely careless in their life. The farmers are extremely important because the farmers connected the harvest with the blessing of God. So when they see the harvest is destroyed, they, it's, the reason is not business. The reason is religious. They, they know that God is not blessing them and he's not happy with them. So that's much worse than the idea that they're losing business. Imagine if you know God is not happy with you. When God could have tells the, predical, the, the, the paralyzed man, do not sin again. Strong message. That Jesus is so gentle. And the priest, because the priest, one, they were not allowing pure worship to take place. And number two, now they don't have material to offer sacrifice. All the plants are gone. So, and they are responsible for the worship. One, just to get the idea before uh, we go on. The book of Joel is not in itself a liturgy, but it's a call for people to attend liturgy. Something important to keep in mind. 
In the old days, in the Old Testament, there is no repentance outside the temple. You guys understand what I'm trying to say? There's a difference between a private repentance and there's a difference between the whole church repenting. When the church wanted to move the mountain Mukottam in Cairo, the whole church fasted for three days. And Pope Shenouda had an issue with a, 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 with a bill that was in the Congress that was going to harm the Christians. The whole church fasted for three days. So he's calling all of us to come to liturgy. Why? Because this is what God said in Kings, in 1 Kings 8.37. He says, when there is a famine in the land, pestilence, locusts, or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieged them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart, and spreads out his hands toward this temple. The deal is, if there is a plague, if there is an issue, people will spread out their arms toward this temple, the temple of Moses, uh, the temple of Solomon. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive, and act, and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the heart of the Son of Man. Repentance is related to the covenant. That's why when you repent and, 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 take, and confess, what's the next step you have to do? You have to take communion. Why? Because communion is a covenant or the promise. Through it, we receive the forgiveness of sins. If one day we cannot pray liturgies, the covenant is not active. It's a disaster. That's why it's important for me after I, I confess my sins, I go back to go back to remember the covenant of God. Okay? The last thing that I am going to go through before we start talking about the book, just a quick introduction. Joel has a very strong connection with the New Testament. Joel has a strong connection with the New Testament. You will see him using expressions like the trumpet, the blast of the trumpet to signal the, the last day. The same expression that Paul have used in 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonica, and Revelation. It expressed the victory of God, the blow of the trumpet in Zion. The same expression is used. He also talks about how the day of the Lord is near. This is the same expression that St. John the Baptist have used. Our Lord Jesus Christ have used. He talks about the judgment of the Gentiles, the darkening of the sun and the stars. You see, the whole scripture is one. He talks about the shaking of the earth and heaven in the last days. And the most famous, the most famous prophecy in, in the book of Joel is what St. Peter referenced in the book of, in the Pentecost. When people uh, when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples and people thought they were drunk. So St. Peter told them, no, they're not drunk, as it was written in Joel. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, uh, prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. This is the age we live in, by the way. We should prophesy. We should have dreams. We should have visions. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He said, the time will come. I will pour out my spirit. We don't want to limit the work of the spirit inside of us. That's why the theme of the book of Joel is the spiritual renewal. God wants to renew you. You see all the disaster that's happening? Yes. You see all the disaster that's going to happen in the future? Yes. But I want to pour out my spirit on you. I want you to see heaven. That's what God is saying. The prophecy of Joel is three chapters. We can divide them into two different sections. The first one is the plague of the locust and, and it's turned into joy. So basically he's going to describe the plague and then he's going to talk about the reversal of the plague. The elders will mourn, later they, they will praise God. There is, there is no oil and eventually they'll have oil. There are no trees, now they're going to have trees. The second part from chapter half of chapter 2 until chapter 3, he talks about the disaster that's going to happen in the day of the Lord. By the way, we see already all the things that Jesus said are happening. People's faith are getting weaker. People calling what's good bad and what's bad good. The love of many have grown cold regardless of all the social media that we have to connect with each other. The impure worship of God is increasing. It became self-centered. So God is saying the end of the last days are going to be difficult. It will be difficult. So he's, he's, the, the whole book talks to us about, look, see what's happening today in our year 2020. And be careful because much worse could happen in the future. But there's nothing compared to what would happen if God forbid you don't make it to heaven. That's what he's saying. The style, of, the style of, of Joel, he uses a lot of different methods of writing, which is important to keep in mind. But I want to give you two things that you should write down in your notes. There is two methods that he uses will help you with the structure when you write. There's something called the anaphora, which is a word that you guys are familiar with. He uses it at the beginning of a section. You know how I was telling you the, Bible, the, the, the book is, is split into two sections? So the beginning of a section called anaphora, and he will use kida thing phrases that will will announce a new section. Like for example, in, in two, chapter two, verse one, he says, "Blow the trumpet in Zion." Okay, so this is kind of now he's gonna start a new message. Uh, and also in two fifteen, there's a call for liturgical repentance. Okay, the ends of a section it's called epiphora. And the whole idea, he's ending a section with promises. Like in, one, in chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, flames have burned up on all the trees of the field and fire 
has devoured the open pasture, never again will my people be ashamed. So he, he, he ends some of, the, some of the section with either promises or with either the final summary of the writing. It's important to keep those things in mind because as you're reading, at least you feel like I'm going from one section to another, okay? So now we'll start at the, verse, the, first very, the very first verse in the Bible, in the, uh, Joel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethul. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethul. This is by far the shortest introduction of any prophecy. As I was telling you, he's not interested to tell you when all these things are taking place. He's not interested in telling you whether people are repenting or not. He wants you to know that this message is for you today. You know what's interesting? I was looking this up. The word Joel, the very first time that was mentioned in the Old Testament, Samuel the prophet had two sons, Joel and Abijah. And both, both of them were not very good children. Even though his name, the word Joel, I was just telling you, means Jehovah is God. And the name in the Old Testament should describe your message. So the message of the children of Samuel was to show people that Jehovah is God. But now God sent Kedai Joel to, uh, to come show this. The word Bethul means a youth belonging to God or a man of God. This is the son of Joel. Okay? So usually the names in the Old Testament, as I was telling you before, it means the life of the person. It expresses his life. Most likely Joel lived in Jerusalem. He was very familiar with the life in Jerusalem. But it's beautiful because, by the way, when Joel was prophesying, he says the word of the Lord that came to Joel. So it means he was sitting in his room, the prophecies came to him, and later on he came out to tell the people what he had heard. Which is extremely important in allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to be in us. I need to sit with God alone and then come out and speak. Actually, when I was reading the Gospels this past period, I've noticed that our Lord Jesus Christ, before a big event like the Sermon on the Mount, before he chooses his disciple, like he spent all night praying. This is not a hypothetical case. If you have a big decision to make, you might need to spend all night praying. And people ask, I ask them, have you prayed? Yes, I prayed. When? Every time I attend the liturgy. But may you already at the liturgy, which is good. But what extra prayer have I offered specifically for that decision? All night? Yes, all night. We all stay all night up for exams, for projects, all night. He's staying up to make a decision. We also believe that the main reason he's not giving a strong introduction is because he doesn't need to tell people what's going on. They already, you open your window, there's a plague outside. So he doesn't need to explain to them, why am I writing to you? Okay. 
He's telling them, he's speaking to them because there is no time to waste. Joel is an unusual prophecy. Most of the prophets were warning people of what's going to happen in the future. Or they were telling them, if you repent, you're going to go back to Jerusalem while you're under exile. Joel is unique because he was speaking as a disaster was happening. But there's an important concept that I want, I want us to keep in mind as, as we go on. It's important for us to know in our life there is no such a thing as a coincidence. When God is allowing difficulties in our life, there's a reason for it. Look what Amos said, Amos 3, 6. He says, if there is a calamity in a city, will not the, the Lord have done it? Amos 3, 6. If there is a calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? If there is a tribulation that's coming, wasn't this allowed by God? There is a tendency these days for people to want to run away from suffering and consider suffering as evil. But if suffering is evil, why did Jesus suffer? Suffering is not evil. Suffering is a method that God sometimes allows for those whose hearts have been hardened to turn back to Him. You can look at it as a merciful action because if I am a father, I don't want to punish my kid, my child. I want him to be happy. But if it comes to the point where I have to punish him or her, it means that I'm going to suffer as well. Now, from verse 2 to verse 4, Joel is going to speak to the elders of Jerusalem. See what he's going to tell them. Verse 2. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all your inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in our days or even in the days of our fathers? He's telling them, look outside. You elders. Why is he singling out elders? Elders are, here doesn't mean priest, are those who have live, lived long enough that they should have experience. Like, you know, if you want to see if anything happened like this before you Google, go on Google and see if this event happened before. He's telling them, you elders who've been here for many years, have you ever seen anything like this? Palestine was known to be subject to locust attacks almost yearly. But it never left such devastation as it did in this story. He's telling them this is a unique problem. This is a unique experience that we're going through. This did not happen before. It did not happen before. I'll tell you guys something like before, before COVID comes, I've always thought in my mind, I said, the United States is, there's no way anybody can come and break them. They're a very strong nation. They, you know, they have the strongest military, the, stronger, the strongest secret conservative, the strongest CIA, all, all the strength they have, all the um, 
all the airplanes they have, all the air force they have, all the drones they have everywhere in the world, never thought that anything can hit them. They can put restriction in, in, in any country in the world. Even the biggest economy, like China or Russia, they can still put restrictions on them. Never thought in my life that I will see the United States that vulnerable with a little virus. Every few years, God sends us things that makes us feel vulnerable. Now we're dealing with cancer. Cancer comes, everybody feels, uh-oh, we have no solution. Before cancer, there's other diseases that were untreatable. HIV, autoimmune diseases. There's a constant reminder from God of how vulnerable we are. And the same question, the same rhetor rhetorical question that Joel is asking, have you seen anything like this? You thought you were advanced enough. You thought you had all the strength and the power in the, in the world. Have you seen anything like this? When he, in the Hebrew, when he, see, when he say, hear and listen, there is a sense of urgency. Wake up, people. There is a sense of urgency. Don't sleep. That's what he's telling them. Hear, listen, see. A lot of times God speaks to us and we don't listen. Sometime to get our attention, he has to speak a bit louder. In the beginning of the days of COVID, when people had no idea what's happening, you see these videos of people praying in the hospitals and people praying on the streets and people are affected and we all have to go back to God and... That took some time until people feel, okay, now we have medicine for it. Now we don't have to worry about any stuff. We have some, some scientific advancement that we're going to depend on. He's telling them, have you seen anything like this? I'll tell you guys something. We might not appreciate it in our era, but an, a Jewish person would appreciate. One of the most important things that Jews and people before technology lived off is memories. A lot of people used to memorize things. I remember before the cell phone and when we were in Egypt, I used to remember at least 30 phone numbers in my head. If I want to call my, my house, if I want to call my friends, you have to remember the numbers because you don't have a cell phone. So in the old days, God told them, I want you to remember that I have chosen you and there is nothing more beautiful than I have chosen you. And because they drifted away from God, now they will have to remember something ugly. Look at in the book of Deuteronomy 4, from verse 32 to 34. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created men on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like this has been heard, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? What is Moses telling to the people? Look at all the history from God's creation until today. Have you ever seen any nation as blessed as us 
where God speaks from fire to us. Wow, that's beautiful. I want to tell my children that the Coptic Church is a church of martyrs. And they love God. But maybe one day there will be an ugly history because of our weakness that we'll have to tell our children that we did not want to tell them. We wished it never happened. That's why in verse 3, God says, tell them what? Tell your children about it. This disaster, you must tell your children about it. Tell your children and tell their children to tell their children and their children another generation. You have to keep this in your memory. There is a memory of God punishing his people. Why God wants them to remember this? Because God wants them to know that this plague points to something that's going to happen in the future. I don't know if, and when when the COVID happened, some some people were saying that almost every hundred years there's a plague that comes to the world. So he's saying, tell your children, your children should tell their grandchildren, and then one more generation. Four generations. A generation is about, what, 30 years? So you're talking about 120 years. That's about right. Every 120 years, there's a plague that comes because people forget. There is an important irony in the text. Why? Because God in the Old Testament, he used the same expression, tell your children and grandchildren. He told them to say, to tell them what they're going to pray in the liturgy. In the Passover liturgy in Exodus 12, 24 to 27. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? What do you mean by this liturgy? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptian and delivered our household. So the people bowed their head and worshipped. In the old days, you should, tell you, you should tell your children how God delivered us. You should tell your children how great St. Mina was and how many miracles God performed on his hands. That's what you should do. Or you should say El Shamma, which is the prayer that the Jews pray in Deuteronomy 6. When I praise God, God wants me to be like the angels, happy and joyful and enjoying his sonship and seeing things and dreaming dreams and love him and grow with him. Now he's telling them, tell your children that you got punished. And not only this, it will be part of your worship. It will be part of, a, of your worship. This is get a, a complete shift in the life of Israel. A complete shift in their memory. A complete shift in their interaction with God. But God is telling us that things that are happening around us are not by accident. It's pointing us to something 
that is extremely important and eternal. And God wants to keep our memory pure and clean. And our sins cause us to see our consequences throughout our life. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.